depends on the nature of the act. Uh, we try to, uh, at the school level, and I can only talk my own experience being an assistant principal and principal, uh, that if a student came, came in and claimed that they were being harassed for whatever reason, there was a procedure we followed. We took a witness statement, because I, we can't really pursue without a written statement. Uh, we get witnesses, and then we follow our own rubric for, for consequence. Um, often that meant some kind of peer mediation or some kind of talking to. Uh, rarely did the students come forward about uh, the problems that students had that I dealt with most often is when relationships went bad. Or I had a situation, um, you know students are becoming much more sexual at a much younger age, had a situation with a group of ninth graders at a high school where over the summer um, there had been a lot of free love with about eight or ten kids, both boys and girls, kind of mixing and matching. And when they got to high school, unfortunately the story got out and suddenly now these kids were shamed and not afraid to come to school. So we were dealing with those kinds of issues. It, and sometimes it's directly in your face uh, harassment. Some cases you're just dealing with some developmental issues as kids are coming to terms with their own sexuality and uh, you want to help handle it in a developmentally appropriate way and also with uh, you know, involving the parents and the students as well. So the protection is there if they're being harassed or threatened. That is what, it, you know, if you look at case, the cases that have gone to court, it's where students have been bullied, harassed, often boys, often being beat, beaten up repeatedly, and they were ignored by the administration. I think we've reached, there was a point in the 70s where it was a court case, and I forget, it was in the Midwest somewhere in the, in the mid-1970s, where a girl claimed rape at a high school. She was wearing a cheerleader outfit. She was raped on the stairwell. It got to court, and the judge was not a jury trial. It was a, the judge ruled. The judge ruled on behalf of the, of the boy because he told the girl in his statement his, that she brought it on by the way she was pro provocatively dressed. Well, that created such an uproar in the U.S. because we had reached a new paradigm that people didn't ask to be raped. This is the, the rape was, we had a better understanding of what rape was. That it was not a, 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 something done for sex, it was something to dehumanize, it was something for power, and all the things we better understand about rape now. I think in the 90s we started reaching that same new paradigm about how to treat the uh, misuse and harassment of gay and lesbians. Is they realized that this is something, you know, Matthew Shepard, of course, was probably the poster boy for the intolerance, but also a clear evidence because there was such a, a nationwide reaction to that. And more and more schools, particularly after Columbine, started adding uh, uh, elements within their student code of conduct. Because if you remember, the boys who shot up Columbine said that they had they'd been bullied and harassed by the jocks at the school that had been ignored by the administration. So you saw with these events happening almost simultaneously, Columbine and Matthew Shepard, these other events, we've come to a point now where people realize that they may disagree uh, philosophically, they may disagree religiously, but they realize when they walk through the door that every child deserves to be treated the same, or better, you know, with equity. Yes, in the back. Uh, I think your comments are very much on target. <coughs> the question over here about uh, when you're teaching elementary children or you're talking, you bring these issues into the curriculum, Dr. Baggerly said we're talking about valuing families. We're talking about accepting people. We're not saying what's right or wrong, or this is okay and this is not okay. That's that's not our job. That's that's a 
Good point. If a person believes it's not okay, then they make their choices according to their belief and their religious teaching. Hmm. What we're saying in school is we value families because of all of the things they do for society and for us, and we accept all people because they are worthy of human dignity. Their particular behaviors, we're not talking about whether we think it's right or wrong. It's not right. our, our position. That making Good point. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Um, you both mentioned this culture of acceptance and how important creating the culture of acceptance is. And I certainly believe that that's necessary, but I wonder if it's sufficient. And what I'm curious about is for any of the panel members, how do you think you can get the momentum going for making the transformation from simply developing a culture of acceptance? mandated teacher training to legal protections to the type of, of legal protections that you folks have been talking about. How do you translate the culture of acceptance, take it to the next level, and actually get state-mandated policies in place? What would it take to get something like that going? We have to elect the right leaders. Well, you, I, I like the language you've used already because you're not saying tolerance. You know, remember we first talked about tolerance, and we realized that tolerance wasn't quite enough. To tolerate something doesn't mean that's at one level. You understand tolerance versus acceptance? And so I think acceptance is the next step. As far as legislating, uh, the, right people. the longer I live, the, more, the less I think we need to be legislating. And hopefully, because I don't, I don't know how well laws are enforced, because uh, it's very difficult to enforce laws. And mandating teacher training, um, I don't know that always results in the and the result that you'd want to see. People are forced to do something, they're less likely to benefit. Uh, I think the media is pulling us forward. Uh, when I grew up, there were no gay people on television. Right. I mean, there were gay, you, you knew there were, anybody remember Lost in Space? All right, remember Dr. Smith? I mean, hung out with Will and the robot? I mean, he was, but even there was this subtext in there that he was evil, wicked, mean, and nasty. I mean, he smuggled himself on the spaceship, caused the Jupiter 2 to crash. I mean, but he was obviously the single male bad guy who was clearly effeminate, perceived to be gay. Ten years later, it was uh, Bewitched, and her Uncle Arthur, Paul Lynn, who was another extremely effeminate male archetype in there. What's changed, I think, and what's helped uh, our story and when you look at TV shows like Will and Grace and the other ones that have followed, it's just not that big a deal often with other students. It's how the, the so I, I, you really get to, I, the legislation part I hope would come unnecessary. But we do have to have protections and I think we need, we're getting closer to there, but clearly you have to elect the right people. In addition to that, Well, I like. To, I hope they'll get a chance to explain how that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's a great segue to my next question. Thank you for Dr. Brown. It, it, I appreciate the way that Pinellas Schools is trying to create the safe environment and has made uh, such environment mandatory. And what are some of the ways that the administration is making this transparent through all of Pinellas Schools? You know, in terms of images and signs, terminology, uh, in, in our interpersonal interactions or in documents. And <clears throat> what are we doing to you know, make this known to the parents as well? 